Hi, my name is Pam Deshawn, and I am the Minister of Education here at First Baptist Pasadena. We are seeing the Lord do some awesome things in the hearts and lives of our people each week. We are preparing for an incredible fall here at FBP. Here are some things we have coming your way, and we would love for you to join us. Media and adults, join us for The Link Saturday, September 10th from 7 to 9 p.m. as we tailgate and celebrate. We will have some outdoor fun with tailgating games as we watch some college football and enjoy burgers from the Waffle Bus food truck. We will also pack shoeboxes for Operation Christmas Child. Cost is $5 per person and you can register at fbp.org slash the link. Join us for an evening of Astros baseball as they take on the Oakland A's on Saturday, September 17th. The cost is $46 for field level seats. Space is limited, so come by the church office to register, or you can register online at fbp.org slash sports outreach. Financial Peace University is a nine-lesson course beginning September 11th at 5 p.m. that teaches how to save for emergencies, pay off debt fast, spend wisely, and invest for your future. Matt Geezy and Craig Schultz will lead this course based on Dave Ramsey's common sense, biblical money principles that work. The cost is $50, and you can register at members.fbp.org. I'm Jennifer Rothschild, and I'm inviting you to join me for Amos. It's an invitation to the good life. On the surface, we think Amos is just full of condemnations, but we are going to turn every condemnation into an invitation. In this eight-session Bible study, we are going to receive God's invitation to seek God and live. Because when we seek God, we live the God life. And the God life is the good life. You're invited to live assured and chosen and faithful. You're invited to live humble and justly and prayerful and never without hope. So open this invitation to the good life and let's experience it together. Sign up has begun for our FBP Hoops Basketball League for boys and girls in first through sixth grades. Once a week practices begin the week of November 28th and games begin on Saturday, January 7th for seven weeks. The cost is $90, which includes a replica NBA jersey and certified referees. Sign up online at fbp.org slash sports outreach. Space is limited, so don't delay. Let's hoop it up. As you can see, we have a lot going on at FBP. For more information about these and other events, go to our FBP app or fbp.org. As you go throughout your week, remember our mission is to help all people experience new life in Jesus Christ. Thank you for watching and we hope you have a blessed week. Welcome to worship this morning. Stand with us please, let's sing Power in the Blood.
seated, please. Well, good morning, and let me welcome you to church on this Labor Day weekend, and we're especially glad to have visitors with us today. Maybe this is your first time to worship with us, or maybe you've been here several times before, but if you're not a member of First Baptist Church, we want to get to know you as best as we can, and we would ask you to take the bulletin, hopefully you received when you came in, open it up, you'll find a place where you can give us your name and phone number and that type of information, and just take a few minutes, please, and fill that out, and then on your way out today, if you'll give it to one of these Giving Center boxes, just so we can reach out to you this week and, and try to make a connection, but we want you to know we're glad that you're here, glad the members are here, but especially glad visitors are here. So members, can we give our guests a hand and welcome them to the service today? And for our members and guests both, you have chosen, I mean, we should be coming to church all the time, but you've chosen an especially good day to come today because then a little bit later, we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper together. We don't often do that, uh, well, you know, during the course of the year, maybe four or five times. So anytime we take the Lord's Supper, it is always a special time. Now, hopefully when you came in this morning, you picked up one of these Lord's Supper packets. Uh, they were out there in the commons, and I hope you got one on the way in. If you did not get one, I really don't know what to tell you. Uh, I was thinking about that. What if somebody forgot to pick one up? I don't know what to say. Maybe during the next song, you could just go out into the commons and get one of these. Because after my dad does the sermon this morning, when we take the communion together, you'll need one of these packets. And so don't be embarrassed if you forgot to get one. Just We've got, I think, three more songs. During one of those songs, just slip out to the back. Get a packet and come back in, and we're going to prepare to take Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper together. Now, throughout the course of the summer, uh, we have been trying to learn Bible verses on Sunday morning, and they printed up a little bookmark that has all the verses that we worked on this summer on that. And last Sunday morning, I don't know how many of these had been printed, but they were all given away. And so we've reprinted them, and also on the way out today in the Commons area, you can pick up a bookmark and take some of these verses. These are some of the greatest verses in all the Bible, and they can be a reminder to you of what we learned this summer and hopefully a blessing to you uh, day by day as you go on with God. Well, I just want to say again how grateful we are to see everybody here today. You know, God's blessing our church with the two different services. We don't always know what's going on in the other service, and we try to maybe keep you posted and keep the other service posted what's happening in here but in the other service just so you'll know is where our students are they're in the the junior high the high school the college students are all in the second service and God is truly blessing our student ministry I say that today just so you can remember to pray for them for example the last blessing that I've heard this past Wednesday night, now listen to this, to the glory of God, 142 high school students were in the high school service last Wednesday night. And that's, that's a lot of kids. And uh, I don't know the number of the junior high students, maybe around 100, but God's blessing that ministry so much. And as we've said before, obedience is not measured by numbers. Obedience is measured by being faithful to God. But God has promised that if we will plant the gospel seed and if we will water that seed, that in his own time and in his own way, God will give the harvest. And we're just so, so grateful for that. Well, I want to have a prayer and then we're going to continue to worship the Lord together. Father, we thank you on this Sunday morning that we could come to your house and that we could gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we could sing these songs to you about how much we love you about how grateful we are for everything you've done for us, mainly our salvation. 
and the uh, forgiveness of our sins. Now, God, today is a special day as we'll have communion together. And I just pray that as we worship even now and sing these songs, that we will begin now to examine ourselves and to see if there might be any sin in our hearts that we've not dealt with, that we've not confessed, and that we would deal with that this morning uh, before we even take communion. I commit this service to you, every part of it. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the people said, amen. Well, church family, it's always a good day to be in the baptistry. And so this morning, I have Isabella here to be baptized. She's, third, she's in the third grade, and she attends uh, Fort Bend Christian Academy. Uh, Isabella said, uh, her mom said that she accepted Jesus Christ at kids' camp. And so, uh, Isabella, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Are you ready to follow him all the days of your life? Well, with that confession, my sister, I now baptize your name in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Bear with Christ in baptism, grace to walk in newness of life. Let's go ahead and pray one more time. Uh, Gracious Father, we just want to thank you so much, God, for moments like this where we can just celebrate, Heavenly Father, your death, burial, and resurrection, and the change that has in us. God, we love you. Be with us and guide us this morning. All these things we ask in your Son, Jesus Christ, we do pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand, please? We continue to worship and remember all that Christ did for us at the cross as we prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper. And there's a place where mercy reigns and never dies. place where streams of grace flow deep and wide, where all the love I've ever found comes like a flood, comes flowing down. At the
remember all that Christ did for us at Calvary. He came to earth as a baby, was born, lived here a perfect life, was condemned for my sin and yours, was put on a cross, gave his life in our place, and three days later rose out of that grave in victory so that we can have victory this morning. Would you sing it with me, please? This is Jesus. This is Jesus.
I get in my sermon this morning, I want us to do something that's a little different for us. You know, we have in our church uh, several different ways to pray for our church members that are going through physical issues. But from time to time, they're what I would call, you run into what's kind of an emergency. And this morning, we have two of these, both involving children. They're going to put their pictures up on the screen. Uh, little boy's name is Liam Sigma. He's seven years of age. He's in the second grade in, uh, at First Baptist Christian Academy. And this week, Liam is going to begin a series of chemotherapy. And then after several rounds of chemotherapy, they'll finally do surgery. And so uh, little Liam uh, has got quite a, a challenge ahead of him. And I want us to pray for him and pray for his mother and father, Bill and Jane. They're faithful members of our church. And the little girl, she's 12 years of age. That's Grace and Ryan. And she's had a rod put in her spine. And uh, she's still in the hospital, be there several more days. And then she'll be uh, at home for about six weeks before she can really do anything. And so she's going through a very hard time too. And I just thought, as I've been praying with both of these families and uh, just trying to say, you know, what can we do as a church? I want you just to bow with me this morning. I'm not going to voice a prayer. I want you to voice a prayer in your heart, from your heart to God, for little Liam, little Grayson, and uh, Grayson, and, and, and what they're going to be experiencing, uh, and what she's experiencing now, and he will as the week begins. Let's pray. God, you hear our prayers, and I just felt this morning that as I've been praying with both families, but here we gather this morning, you've heard hundreds of prayers, and may we continue to pray as, as the week moves on. It's my prayer in Jesus' name, amen. All the people said, let me ask you a question. You may never have really thought much about it, but do you ever think about why we do things that we do in our worship services. In other words, is there any biblical authority to do some stuff we do? For example, we've already done some things this morning, like we, we've welcomed the guest, okay? We always, we always welcome the guest. Um, we recognize special birthdays and anniversaries. For example, uh, when people reach the age of 90, at starting at age 90, 91, 92, 93, just however many 90s they can go, uh, we just, to the glory of God, want to recognize them and thank the Lord for that. And then special anniversaries, like wedding anniversaries, we do those, like the 50th wedding anniversary, then the 60th wedding anniversary, and then after number 60, it's every five years, like 65, 70, 75, 80, 85, 90, how high you think I ought to count? Well, now, let me say this quickly. People need to let us know about that. Sometimes people prefer it not be any mission made whatsoever. That's their business. But we're always honored to do that. Then, but there's, there's no real biblical authority for recognizing a special situations like that. And then we promote things in worship services. We talk about things that we're asking the people to pray about and do. But the fact of the matter is there's really no biblical authority for any of that. Now, on the other hand, 
We do other things in the worship service, and there is biblical authority. For example, we've been doing this morning. We are singing songs of praise to God. We will, as we always do, we will open the Bible and we will teach from the Word of God what God's Word says. There's biblical authority to that. We, we baptize. You just saw that earlier. We'll see it again in the second service. We have biblical authority of that, for that. And then we always appeal for people to give their heart to Jesus, to be saved. We make absolutely no apology about that. It's the most important thing we ever do in a worship service is encourage people to be saved. There is biblical authority for that. Now, all that said, Here's the question. Is there biblical authority for the Lord's Supper? At the end of my message in our preparation time this morning, uh, we're going to take these little packets and we're going to, like, we'll eat the bread and we'll drink of the cup. Now, here's the question. Is there biblical authority for doing that? Is this just something churches thought up? Or is there something in the Bible about that? Well, the answer is yes, there is. And let me mention very quickly two two matters. We're going to look in the Word of God and see them. First of all, here's what we need to understand about the Lord's Supper. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. It was His idea. It was not man's idea. It was not the church's idea. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. Now, You can read that in your Bibles in Matthew, and I put the little scriptures up in case you might want to jot them down and go back later and look. But like in Matthew chapter 26, in Mark chapter 14, in Luke chapter 22, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and then it's not on the screen, and I deliberately did not include it, but in John chapter 13, where we read about Jesus being in the upper room, the emphasis there is on the washing of the feet. So there's really not much detail about the Lord's Supper in John chapter 13, but in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and 1 Corinthians. Now, with that said, would you open your Bible, please, to Luke chapter number 22. I want us just to show you where we have uh, uh, biblical authority to do what we're doing this morning. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. So look in your Bible, if you will, Luke chapter 22, and let's maybe begin with verse number 14. Luke chapter 22, verse 14. The Bible says, when the hour had come, Jesus sat down and the 12 apostles with him. And he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus took the cup, gave thanks, and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. He gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Now, these next two words, I have them circled in my Bible. I have them underlined. Jesus said, do this. He's talking about what we're going to be doing this morning. He instituted the Lord's Supper, and he went on to say, in remembrance of me, and likewise the cup. So here's the point that I make as we begin this morning. We have not only biblical authority, 
we have biblical command from the Lord Jesus himself to do what we'll be doing this morning. Now, that said, I want you to look over in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter number 11. So you just turn in your Bible. It's very important you see this. I want us to see what the Apostle Paul has to say about the Lord's Supper. Now, Paul's letter that we know as 1 Corinthians is earlier than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So he got no information from them. He got his information from the Lord Jesus. It is the earliest record we have in the Bible of the Lord's Supper. Some call it by different names. Communion. A holy communion. Liturgical churches would use the word Eucharist, which just means to give thanks. All of that is good. Talking about the very same thing. Now look what we're talking about is there biblical authority for the Lord's Supper? Well, yes, there is. Number one, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. He started it. It was his idea, and he commanded us to do it, and there's reason for that. Now, look in verse 23, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Paul said, for I received from the Lord. Now, he got this information from Jesus himself that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Now, here it comes again. Do this. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. But why? Well, here's the second biblical authority we have for doing what we'll be doing this morning. He said, in remembrance of me. Now, don't turn back, but in Luke's gospel, in remembrance of me appears one time. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, as God gave the apostle Paul these words, this whole idea of remembrance appears a second time. Look in verse 25. It said in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, this do... There's our command from Jesus, as often as you drink it, and here a second time, in remembrance of me. So, what is our biblical authority for taking the Lord's Supper? Well, it's to remind us of the most important day, the most important day in the history of the world. And that is when Jesus died on the cross for our sins. So why do we take the Lord's Supper? Number one, Jesus started it. He instituted it. He commands us to do it. Number two, to remember. What are we to remember? The most important day in the history of the whole world. What? That day when Jesus hung on the cross, shed his blood for your sins, and for my sins, and the sins of the whole world. Now, as we think about all that, here we are on Labor Day weekend. I do not remember ever in my life observing the Lord's Supper on Labor Day weekend. Nothing's certainly wrong with it. In fact, as you think about it, there's something maybe unusually right about it. Now, Labor Day, 
What is this deal, Labor Day? Well, back in the late 1800s, the Congress of the United States adopted the first Monday in September as a national holiday. They named it Labor Day, the purpose being to honor workers. That's, that's how Labor Day ever came about in the first place, to honor workers for what they do and the contribution that they make, that there would be a day to honor them, that they could have a day of rest. Now, think about it. Here we are on the Sunday of Labor Day weekend. <laughs> We're about to remember what Jesus did. Now, think about this. He became the worker so you and I could experience his rest. Now, put that in your mind, and as you do, turn over to the right in your Bible to the book of Hebrews. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter number four, and I want us to think about what Jesus did, that we, he was the worker. What did he do? Well, his work <laughs> enables you and me, all of us, who put our faith and trust him to experience this rest that God's word promises. Now in Hebrews chapter four, look in verse one, the Bible says, therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, here it is, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. You see, Bible knowledge is alone not sufficient. Bible knowledge without faith, <laughs> there's no profit to that. There's no value to that. You, you may have much information up here, but if it's not mixed and joined together with faith, what the Bible is saying, it, it really is not sufficient. It really does no good. He goes on in verse three to say, for we who have believed do enter that rest, talking about a spiritual rest as God has said. And then the writer to Hebrews quotes from Psalm 95, and look at these words. So I swore, God said, in my wrath, they, that is Israel, they shall not enter my rest. Talking about this earthly rest that God's people in that day and in our day can experience. It goes on to say, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. The finished work that God purposed in eternity past uh, is a finished work in Jesus Christ. And that is what he's saying. Now, turn back in your Bible, if you will, to Psalm 95. I want to show you something I think you'll find to be very interesting. The writer of Hebrews is referring to this. I want you to see it in your Bible. Back in Psalm 95, let's look down about verse number 8. Verse 8 says, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. Talking about how the children of God disobeyed God on their way to the promised land. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they saw my work. So even though they saw all my miracles, they kept testing me. They wouldn't believe. For 40 years, I was grieved with that generation 
and said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts and they do not know my ways. Now watch this in verse 10. We just read this a moment ago in Hebrews. So I swore in my wrath, God said, they shall not enter my rest. Now listen, God's rest in this life as in their life, not talking about heaven, we're talking about the promised land. But as we live the abundant life because of what he did in this life, what does it, what does it involve? It involves peace, it involves plenty, and it involves unbroken fellowship with God. Now that's when a person's really at peace. When a person is really at peace, and we can have that peace in Jesus Christ because Jesus said, I'm peace. And when we have Jesus, we have him. When we have him, we have peace. Not only that, we have plenty. And not only that, we have unbroken fellowship with God. Now, if you'll take your bulletin, I want us to take that little bit of information and quickly go through what we have here to kind of see where we're going. First of all, in your bulletin, if you just look at it, we simply say God's plan for man from the beginning was that man have intimate fellowship with him. That's, that's why God ever made man in the first place. Why did God make man his own image? So God could have intimate fellowship with him. And what did God do? He placed him in a garden. We know it as the Garden of Eden. It, it, was, like, it was like heaven on earth and there Adam was there Eve and what happened they messed it up they messed it up for themselves they messed it up for all of us <laughs> they messed it up for everybody that's going to follow us sin entered the world but now get this in your mind God had a plan before he ever created man, and that plan, very simple, that mankind have intimate fellowship with him, the creator. Now, look in your bulletins, we move from that. When Adam and Eve sinned, here, here's the good part. When Adam and Eve sinned, it did not change God's plan. It changed what? It changed the location of God's plan. From where? From the garden to heaven. God's plan didn't change. When, when God created man, God's plan for man was to have unbroken fellowship with him. Adam and Eve messed that up. God's plan didn't change. You see, the Bible, te- God says, I do not change. See, that's the great thing about God. He's the same yesterday and day and forever. His plan never changed. The location of his plan changed. And of course, Jesus is the way to that new location. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. So God had a plan. It did not change. The location changed. And then build on that. If you look in your bulletin, Jesus was born, get the big picture, to live, to die, to live again forever. Now, others had died You read it in the Bible and brought back to life. Jesus raised Lazarus, but Lazarus died again. All these people we read about that died, they died again. When Jesus died and rose, he 
never died again. So Jesus, born to what? To live and to die and to live forever. Why is that? To make God's plan possible and available. Now get these words, to all people. That'd be a good sermon, that part right there. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If I knew no other verse in the whole Bible but John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This idea that, you know, God elected some to be saved and he elected others to be doomed and damned and go to hell. That is just not what I believe the Bible teaches. Now, you can settle wherever you want to settle. I believe the blood of Jesus cleanses all people from their sins. If they what? If they repent from their sins and put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus, they will find their eternity with God in heaven. And to me, that's a great thing. But if you stop and think about it, look at that last little thing. Jesus is born to live, to die, to live again forever, to make God's plan possible and available to all people. You see, there had to be, listen, there had to be Bethlehem before there could be Golgotha. And there had to be Golgotha before there could be a resurrection. I mean, Jesus had to be born in order to die, and he had to die in order to experience the resurrection. And have you ever thought what a, you talk about a mess, this whole idea. See, you, you can't, we're having the Lord's Supper in a moment, but it's not, you can't, you can't pull them apart. He had to be born in order to die. He had to die in order to be uh, raised from the dead. And because he is raised from the dead, were it not for the resurrection, go back in first in 1 Corinthians, but this time go to chapter 15. And I want you just to see this, maybe mark it in your Bible. Were it not for the resurrection, oh, what a, what a dilemma we would be in today. Without the resurrection, <laughs> your faith would be absolutely useless. It'd be worthless. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look down in verse number 14, it says, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, useless, and your faith is also empty. In other words, Jesus, in the Gospel of Matthew, beginning in chapter 16, he told his disciples three specific times about the fact that he would be killed He'd be buried, but that he would rise from the grave. He told them about it. No doubt that they didn't comprehend it. So he told them a second time, and he told them a third time. Now think about something. If Jesus himself had said, I will experience resurrection, and it didn't happen, then if we say, well, you know, he made a little promise there, but he broke that promise. Well, if he broke that promise, then how do we believe all these other promises? But here's the good news. He didn't break that promise. He kept that promise. He did exactly what he said he would do. And because of that, our faith is not empty. Our faith is not useless. 
the same God that we put our faith in that promised the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, that faith works in every area of life. But not only that, if it weren't for the resurrection, we would be here today, all of us here today, guilty of all of our sins. Look in verse 17. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, but not only that, you're still in your sins. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? And you're not still guilty in your sins. Man, you know, how do we know that? Because we can trust the God who said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to rise again. And he did all three. And then he says, because of that, <laughs> you're not guilty in your sins anymore. If you've repented, turn from them. And put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But oh, here's, here's, here's a very sad and somber thing. Were it not for the resurrection, listen, your family members and your friends that were all Christians, they were all believers that have died. Let me tell you, without the resurrection, where they'd be? Perished. 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 Look down in verse 18. Still talking about what was mentioned in verse 17. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Oh man, that's the most horrible thought in the world. Horrible thought in the world. Just a very few weeks ago, John and I flew to do the service for my uncle who those of you who've been here a long time know he was more than an uncle. He was like my brother. I grew up much of my boyhood life in my grandparents. And my uncle never married. And he stayed there all of his life. He was 10 years older. And he just always functioned in the role kind of as my older brother. And we stood and looked at the grave. And I thought, boy... <laughs> He's not going to perish down there. He's not there. That, see, that, many of you recently have had loved ones and family and friends who were Christians, were believers, and physically they died. Aren't you glad today they're not perished? Could we have an amen to that? Praise God. I'm telling you what, let me say this. Believer friend, I hope there's joy in your soul this morning that when you die, like, you won't perish you won't perish because of the resurrection. It's an amazing thing. Look, look in verse 20. Let me read it. It says, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam, excuse me, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Hey, let me conclude before we eat the bread, drink of the cup. Let me read those verses out of the New Living Translation. Listen to this. It says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, that's Adam, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. That's Jesus. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, 
Look at this. Listen to this. Everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Man, I don't know where you are in life. I'm 81. I know I don't look it. I think the birth certificate's totally in error, but I'm smart enough to know this. I'm somewhere out in wherever I am in life. I mean, like, there's a lot more of my life behind me than there is ahead of me. Now, we're blessed in this day and time we live. You know, they can just replace our parts, you know. You know, I had a new knee put in. Yeah, they can put in a lot of new things. But one day, one day, there's nothing down there they can do. But here's what God has done. And it's all built around what we're going to remember this morning. The greatest day in the history of the world when Jesus died for our sins. And because of that, think about this. One day, <laughs> I'm going to have me a new body. And you're going to have a new body. And we're not going to perish. We're going to live forever. Because why? Because of what we're going to remember this morning. What he did. Now, I want you to bow with me this morning. I want us to do in preparation kind of two different phases here. Probably without question, most all of you today are believers. You're Christians. Okay? But the Bible's very clear before we eat the bread and drink of the cup that we are to confess all of our known sins that we've not asked forgiveness. Now, you know, when we ask God to forgive us, we don't need to ask God to do that anymore. If we, if we mean it in our heart, and we're, we're with God's help turning away from whatever it is we ask God to forgive us, you need never ask God to do that a second time. If you do, you didn't trust him the first time. See, if you ask God to forgive you, and you mean it in all your heart, and you repent of whatever you're asking God to forgive you, it's done. It's done. Don't let the devil bring that back again. But this morning, all of us, I'm not going to start making a list of things, but there, there, there are all kind of sins in this room this morning. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. It could be what you might say is it's a sin that really doesn't matter. You, you hate somebody. <laughs> Matters to God. may not matter to you. It should matter to you. Or you've got a bad thought about this or whatever. I'm just asking you, Christian friends, this morning, maybe, maybe it's just you've doubted that God's going to take care of a need that you have. It's not like you don't believe in God. You're just going through something hard, really hard. And you just say, you know, God says he's going to help me in these things. I just don't see it yet. Well, yet's not come. <laughs> you, just, you keep your knowledge mixed with faith. It'll bring profit. But Christians now asking God's forgiveness. Now, others here today, you say, Pastor, I certainly believe in God. I wouldn't be in church. But I, I don't know that in my life I've ever had a time where I've realized I'm lost. And I just, I need Jesus to forgive me my sins and come into my life and make me a Christian. Or maybe you say, you know, 
I just don't have complete peace about that. Not 100%. This morning, get that settled. You can do it. If you say, how do I do it? All right, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Now, the prayer doesn't save anybody. Jesus saves. But if you mean in your heart the idea of this prayer, based on the authority of God's Word, whosoever shall call upon the Lord shall be saved. Jesus stands at the door and knocks. If any man hears his voice and opens the door, he says, I'll come in. This morning, if you just feel something inside of you saying, today, you need to get your soul right. You need to prepare to meet God. See, one day all of us will meet God. Everybody's going to meet God. It's where you meet God that matters. Christians are going to meet God at the beam of judgment. Lost people, unsaved people, they're going to meet God, but not at the beam of judgment. They're going to meet God at the great white throne judgment. I just beg you this morning, don't do that. Don't do that. You don't have to do that. All you need to do is just pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I want my soul to be right with you. I admit I'm a sinner. I'm asking you right this moment, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life and make me a Christian. I trust you to save me, Jesus. Some would say, I've prayed something like that a bunch of times, but I just, I don't know. Look, you can know. The Bible says we can know that we have salvation. This morning, settle your salvation. Just say, Lord, I I think I'm saved, but I want to know for sure. Because I, like all mankind, will one day physically die. I don't want to perish. I want to spend eternity with unbroken fellowship with God. Just say this morning, oh, Lord Jesus, if I'm already saved, thank you. But if not, I just got to settle it this morning, and I do. Forgive me of my sins. Holy Spirit, come to live in me and empower me. It's my prayer in Jesus' name. Now, head still bowed. Head still bowed. Before we have our time with the bread and the cup. If this morning or before this morning you prayed that prayer, either by being saved or selling your salvation, and yet you've not made a public profession of that, with our heads bowed all over the room, right now, quickly, I'm just going to ask you to do that this morning. You say, okay, I've settled my salvation this morning. I've prepared my soul to meet God. I want you just to stand up real quickly. Remain standing for a moment. I want to have a prayer over you. All over this room, who would be first to say, I've settled my salvation this morning? Who would be first? While we're waiting here, those who are watching, you can stand right wherever you are. God will see you. All right, we're going to wait a minute or two more. Anyone else this morning say, you know, today I need to make my public stand, take my public stand. I'm going to stand up today unashamed that I've made my decision for Jesus. 
Well, God, I hope and I pray that this whole room, everybody say, that's glorious. I don't know what happened by those watching, but God, what a blessed thing this morning to be gathered together with believers at this moment, cleansed. We thank you for that. Now, God, as we in a moment eat the bread and drink the cup, help us remember we hold in our hands a symbol of the greatest thing that ever happened in the whole world when Jesus died for our sins. I thank you. In his name I pray. Amen. All God's people said, all right, now let's take our little packet. And if you will, if you'll just hold your little packet, the juice now on the bottom and the bread will be on the top. If you'll just pull that off, pull the little top off. And then you can just kind of pour the little bread in your hand. You know, this is what Jesus said do. Jesus said that this represents his broken body. Take ye, eat ye, all of it. Now, if you'll turn your packet over and just remove the little top. This cup represents the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Jesus said, take ye, drink ye all of it. God, to think that the little symbol that we hold in our hand right now says to us, we're not guilty in our sins. We will not perish, but because of what you have done, God, you're the worker, and because of that, we can experience your rest. And I pray that every person in this room today and those who've watched will feel that peace, experience heaven's plenty, and God live in an unbroken fellowship with you beyond anything ever. Holy Spirit, help us to live godly lives. You, you inspired the writer of Hebrews that says, pursue peace with all men. But that verse goes on and says, and holiness, without which no one will see God. Holy Spirit, help us live godly, holy lives, is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God glory this morning. Can you do that? All right, Jimmy, you come. If you would like to know more about placing your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, maybe you'd like to know more about joining our church. 
Maybe you have another question you'd like to ask this morning. If you'll just go out those back doors, those four main back doors, turn right, follow the curve of this building around to our family room. There are people there that will help you this morning. Don't leave this place this morning wondering about your salvation, wondering about how you join the church. You can find out right now. Just go out the back doors, turn right. Let's stand together now, and as we go, let's say our purpose statement together. All around us, there's people that are lost that need rescuing, and Jesus is the one to do that, and we want to share that with them. So what are we to be about this week? Say it with me. To help all people experience new life in Jesus Christ. As we go now, let's sing together. This is Jesus. Sing with us. This is